You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. Hi, I'm Adam Griffin. I'm here with our guest co-host, the Miss Elizabeth Woodson. Elizabeth, how are you doing today? I am fabulous. Good. You you look fabulous. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Happy, ready to go. Producer David <laughs> Roark, you don't look as fabulous today. You look, your colors are dark. You doing okay, David? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to leave now. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry. Let me start over. Hey. All right. Hi, I'm Adam Griffin. I was joking. You didn't have to. It was, oh, it was a part of the joke. Oh, good. I felt like maybe just talking so much about how I'd offended people recently. <laughs> I thought you were going to move on to Chris, and then you literally started like, like, all right, sorry. Just go to Chris. Go to Chris. Great. We're also, we have the honor of being joined by our audio engineer. You heard him just audibly, audibly clearing his throat. Chris Starrett. Chris. <laughs> Hey, man, I'm so glad you're on the podcast with us. Hey, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Oh, well, good. <laughs> Does he look happy? Chris is always excited to be on the podcast, isn't he, David? Yes. He's always, always. like itching. Please, guys, put me on. I've got we tons don't have of opinions. To, yeah, we don't have to persuade him or yeah. peer pressure him at all. I just love the sound of my voice. So. <laughs> well, I do. Well, on this episode, we're going to do a cultural roundup, hitting on a number of current topics. We're going to talk about Rodney Reed. We're going to talk about uh, binge watching, all the new different... Uh, ways to binge watch your life away and we're going to talk a little about martin scorsese and the belief in real cinema so i'm looking forward to this here we go All right, let's kick it off with this. This has been in the news a lot lately. Also really big on social media is all these things around a man named Rodney Reed. David, for those who don't know much about Rodney Reed, can you kind of summarize what's going on with this man? I can try my best, but honestly, I may get some of the details wrong. But my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that Rodney Reed has been on death row in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. And he, at the 11th hour recently, um, was about to be executed. Um, That was halted. And a large uh, reason for that was that social media basically blew up and demanded this guy, you know, get a get a retrial essentially. And um, it seems, based on my readings and my understandings of the situation, that there is a lot of evidence to say that he isn't guilty, and that there's another guy that's been brought up who has a history of violence and has been convicted of some of the things that Rodney was accused of in this particular case. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a fascinating situation because I think it tells us a little bit about our, um, you know, death row, our death penalty system and all of that and how there are people like Rodney who don't get this chance and are executed maybe wrongfully. Yeah. And it's interesting because you have celebrities who are using their power and social media to speak out and to help people like Kim Kardashian, for example, and, um, yeah, uh, it's just, it's, it's intriguing. And, um, but I'm, I'm grateful that he's going to get a retrial I, yeah. and I, I hope that that all pans out the way that it's looking. Yeah. I think there's a, a, a couple aspects of the case too, that are important. It was a, uh, a white woman who passed away, a black man who committed the murder. And they said a lot of the trial was racially charged mm-hmm. and therefore, uh, maybe blinded some people to some of the details of the case. There's another 
candidate for uh, another suspect in the case that was uh, looked at, but a little bit maybe overlooked and ignored. And so the, really the, part of the retrial is not only did Rodney do these crimes, but was it maybe this other guy that we feel pretty positive about? And then there were mistakes made in the trial. Some people have come forward saying uh, some of the forensic evidence, uh, Some there was mistakes made in the way it was presented or in the way it was collected. And so it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. But uh, Elizabeth, it, it, talk to me about this case uh, in a modern time where people can kind of raise their hand and have a voice heard anywhere. Uh, what sticks out to you about what's going on here? I mean, I think one thing that sticks out to me, and David mentioned it, is the power of social media and just the massive amount of people who came behind Rodney Reed. I think they had a petition that had about 3 million people wow. sign for him to have a new trial. And so I think the dynamic of the same thing we've seen happen with Santonia Brown, um, Jay-Z released a documentary, Free Meek, on Meek Mill, um, and just the same type of dynamic of issues in the criminal justice system. And so using their platform as celebrities to bring attention to it in a major way. And so I think we see this dynamic of people using their platform in a positive way on social media, but also just a window into criminal justice reform. Um, when you think about the death penalty in Texas, yeah, um, and just that this isn't the first situation. He's just one guy who had a lot of people behind him, but there are plenty of other people who are in the same situation as him who just don't have the same opportunity to have their voice um, catch as far yeah. in the in the media. And so I think it just is for us as Christians to take a to take a look into something that maybe that we're not involved in if we don't have a family member in the criminal justice system or we ourselves have not had interaction with it because it is a huge problem that we're seeing come to light. There's just a lot of movement through different channels because of the power of the internet and for voices to come together from all different yeah. parts of the world um, and people not leave their living rooms. Yeah, that is interesting. I think uh, something that I've been thinking about, and this this is Adam Griffin's opinion, but it's something that's been bouncing around in my head, is if this man was not on trial, and or I'm sorry, if this man was not on death row and about to be uh, killed by the government, is there maybe not as loud an outcry because there's not as much urgency? Mm -hmm. So maybe the fact that it was a capital crime that he was about to die for leads to an urgency in social media that if he had just been falsely accused and falsely convicted and maybe right. in life in prison, maybe we never hear about it. So the strange irony of this case is if the government isn't about to end his life, maybe his life, maybe his innocence is never proven. Mm -hmm. If he's innocent, obviously right. there's going to be a retrial. I'm hoping, I'm hoping there's a real settling of truth here and yeah. a real satisfying answer to it. I certainly never want to see innocent people convicted, but uh, we do live in a day and age where um, perversion of justice, particularly yeah. as it uh, pertains to race and it pertains to class, yep. is a significant ongoing issue. And this one kind of highlights that uh, pretty pretty significantly. Where have you guys seen? Uh, where have you guys seen the, this talked about outside the news? Are you guys seeing this on social media, or have you guys? Uh, oh, only seen it on the internet? Or do you feel like people are talking about it? I this? was in a coffee shop here in town. And so someone overheard me having a conversation with someone else and was like, hey, I heard that you guys are Christians. Can you call the governor um, and ask for this man's execution to be stayed? Wow. And so just like, and that's how I heard about it. I hadn't heard about it on social media and then did research and saw what was going on. But somebody came up to me and was like, hey, you need to get involved in this because you're a Christian. Wow. What do you think that has to do with being a Christian? I think she had opinions about the death penalty. 
um, oh, gotcha. and that uh, Christians view of, you know, the Imaho Day and mm-hmm. life and just the treatment of humanity, period, and an opportunity for us. And her opinion was, hey, if you believe these things that you say to be true, then you're going to have a stance on this. And again, people have different opinions on what that is, but I think she's like, you you are the people who are supposed to be the voice for the marginalized. Yes. And this person is marginalized. We need you to step in. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh David, when it comes to the criminal justice system, what do you, what involvement can Christians have? Do you think to other outside of vo- uh, we always talk about outside of voting for somebody? What is the church's responsibility to jump in on things like this? Yeah, I think that you know there's always the opportunity to contact legislators and people who are in these positions of power, and that does play a bigger role, I think, than sometimes we're willing to admit. I. My hope in in this particular situations is that in this situation is that Christians would just use it as an opportunity to to think about criminal justice reform. Is like I don't know that the general Christian sees it as an issue, especially when you think about like the white evangelical Christian who probably none of this is as close to home um, for them, you know, and they they feel very removed from it. But even like the death penalty, regardless of where you like land in that whole discussion. Um, you have to ask the question, does our current criminal justice system provide a way to, even if you believed that the death penalty was a a, a good thing or an okay thing, um, is that being carried out in a way that's just and, and makes sense? And are the right people, again, if you ascribe to that, <laughs> even if, if you're on that side of things, do you feel like we're set up in such a way that the right people um, are being, you know, tried and um, potentially, you know, executed for these crimes. Is the system failing us, or is the fist- system working? I th- I just think more people need to think about that and be kind of woken up to that reality. And hopefully, you know, more situations like this will do that because I know that previous to this, two years ago, I probably didn't ever think about any of this. Yeah. Well, I certainly wasn't aware of this case. I I didn't educate myself on this circumstance. I've had. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about the love for people in prison, and it talks about uh, when Christ returns, he says, you you visited me in prison. And while some people believe that's about those who are persecuted for their faith being in prison, I think it's worth bringing up uh, that it may talk about just people in general are... Um, I need Everyone needs the gospel, right? And so certainly there needs to be reform for those people who who live in prisons. But I've also had people approach me, Christians say, uh, those who have been victims of crimes, maybe like this, have a really hard time thinking that it's the church's responsibility to do anything that would alleviate consequences for those people who are suffering the right just ramifications for those crimes that they've committed. But I do believe there is absolutely the possibility of reform, the possibility of repentance, and because we believe in the fact that people are not perfect, there's a distinct possibility of wrongfully being accused, wrongfully being convicted, and wrongfully facing the punishment that maybe you didn't deserve for the crime that that you're being convicted of. So it's worthwhile to think through how does our justice system operate in ways that try to prevent innocent men and women from going away for crimes that they did not commit? And then also, how do we uh, seek repentance, seek reform for those people who are in their personal reform? My only my only thought on that is like just uh, there's a lot I've learned about the, the justice system through reading and podcasts like Serial and things like that. And I think it's good. There's a lot of good things that come from it. But mm-hmm. it's also there's also this element of um, when you... I don't know, kind of like that online bully culture kind of a thing where it's like if a whole group of people get behind something and they're all like, oh, this guy's definitely innocent and they're trying to influence change it without really actually knowing any of the facts most mm. of the time, 
I'm just sometimes skeptical or, or I, I want to be careful about that, you know, where it's like we're jumping on the bandwagon on something. It's like I, I literally have no idea what the facts of this case are, you know, and so I'm always hesitant to like jump in on that conversation. I don't know if that's good or not. No, I think but. it's a great point. I think you're talking about maybe a healthy, discerning cynicism mm-hmm. about what the culture wants to do. Because we do love, um, we love to see the underdog win. We we hate to see uh, the powerful pick on the weak. Right. And so if there's, it seems like somebody's presenting a story where somebody is weak and there's this powerful organization against them. <clears throat> Seems like what we should do is hop in and help the guy who's weak. But what if the guy who's weak is actually guilty of, right. of what he's done? And, yeah. yeah. Right. You're getting at this, and this is a whole other episode that we need to do at some point, but you're talking about like virtue signaling, which right. I, I yeah, feel yeah. like is That's so many people don't know, don't know anything about <laughs> things and they just want to retweet and put it out there to associate themselves with the movement, right. being woke and things. And, and it's, I, there's definitely an aspect of that going on and you see sort of the back edge yeah. of how social media can be used for good. Mob mentality can be used for good mm-hmm. and then right. it can potentially be used, yeah. you know, in wrong ways. Right. What you just said, Chris, reminded me of something I heard on another podcast about situations like this and people have challenged and, and even in, in podcast episodes that we've released, people have challenged it, the reality of systemic injustice and the reality of systemic racism. And they've said, well, there might be individual cases of that, but where do you see it systemically? And I heard a lawyer on another podcast say this about our criminal justice system. And I thought this was fascinating, and it definitely applies to this case. That lawyer said, in America's criminal justice system, it never hurts to be white and it never helps to be black. And I thought, I have seen that over and over again, where it's not, we're not saying everybody in the criminal justice system is racist. We are saying what you've seen over and over again is there is an advantage or there is at least, it doesn't hurt you if you are white in the criminal justice system. And it doesn't help you to be black in our criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. And I think that brings more alert to a situation like this, when you're thinking, hey, here's a black man accused of something years ago that now he's facing the punishment for, and maybe in a culture that's more woke, so to speak, now than maybe it was then, there's a there's an outcry, whether it's justified or not, we will see to say, well, let's make sure we're getting this right. All right, let's keep talking about what's going on in our culture today. I see this everywhere, which is the addition of Disney Plus to the market to compete with Amazon Prime, to compete with Netflix, uh, how every network is coming up with their own version of it. Apple TV just came out with their own. You have original programming in all these different places, and you have opportunities to, to watch things on demand. When I was growing up, if you wanted to watch a show, you had to know what time it was on, you had to be in your seat when it was happening, and if you were not there, you were going to miss it. Or you had to be the first person to Blockbuster when the movie came out. Yes, or you had to be or the otherwise first you had to wait for a week. Yeah, yeah that's the it's new the release worst. section. Yeah. <laughs> Always cleared out, tease you with the pictures are still there, but there's no DVD behind it. You, yes. ask, the, you ask the person at the counter, like, hey, can I, can I dig in the that. back? Yeah, can, can you look and see if anyone <laughs> returned one? Yet? Yes. And then the worst is when you got it and it was the wrong VHS tape in the, you know, somebody returned the wrong movie. Golly. Or you got the DVD and it was scratched and it kept skipping. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, terrible. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we live in a better day and age now. (laughs) Yes. It's like going from bread to toast. We're like, man, bread was okay, but have you tried toast? It's better. Yes. Well, I don't know if that's a good analogy, but now we have have on-demand... On-demand programming, what do you want to watch? Now, everything costs some. Everything is a subscription. This is, obviously, there's some money involved in this. Yes. But let's just talk about our culture. Are you guys, uh, maybe let's put on the table, do you guys subscribe to any of these? Uh, Netflix 
and uh, well, we have Amazon Prime, so I guess we have yeah, so you have streaming those two. from that, and then uh, we also have Hulu, but we use my father-in-law's account. Oh, oh. Whoa. 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 we have to edit that out right there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, I've got you know like four of the eight thousand that are out there. <laughs> four of the big ones, yeah. David. How about you, yeah, buddy? YouTube TV. Netflix. Is that a paid subscription? Yes, it YouTube is. TV. Yeah, okay. YouTube TV. It allows me to watch my Dallas Mavericks. Oh, oh and yeah. then I do Netflix, Amazon Prime, mainly because of Amazon. having Amazon, yeah. and yeah. then Disney Plus. So oh, you have oh, Disney Plus. The Disney you're the Plus. new guy. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much good stuff for, especially for the kids. Well, Lady and the Tramp. You've probably been watching yeah. on repeat. Right? Although ah. I've been trying to get my daughters to watch like shows that I grew up on, and they are so uninterested. I'm like, hey, what X-Men? about Chippendale Rescue Rangers? What do you think? <laughs> you guys want to watch Kirby? Tailspin? Do you want to watch Tailspin? And they're like, no. <laughs> Tailspin's on there. Yes. No, I might I have like to get Tailspin. it. I feel you, like Elizabeth? it's only a matter of time okay. before I get on there. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I have to make a confession. Oh. Oh. I don't own a TV. Oh wow! Whoa! And I don't have internet. Did in my somebody house. steal your TV? Wait, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> Although that would make for a great story. You don't have the internet or television in your in home. My house, but I do watch it, Netflix and Amazon Prime at other people's homes. Wait, is that other people's, in, homes. other people's homes? Is that an intentional choice or is it just like it you is never an intentional it? choice? I'm I respect one this. And two, after a while, I just haven't had one for a long time. I admire yeah. you even more now. Yeah. But I still watch it, so I'm not like it's not a moral thing. Okay. Will you like call somebody and say, I need to watch something? Can I come over to your Basically. house? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> have, have, That's you, awesome. have you seen that that meme or that graphic that someone like they listed all the new streaming services and how much they cost and then they were like I, and this cable. was supposed to be better than cable. Yes. Because it's, yeah. it's like way more expensive. No, I saw yeah. some guy that was like, When when is some genius going to find a way to bundle all of these streaming services <laughs> together and just basically recreate cable? Like, it's a reality, though. I mean, people are, they're making you choose right now, but it's almost like you're paying for each channel individually it's just so you can watch on demand. Yeah. It is stupid expensive. Yeah. If you add up all it is between all those things, and I feel like Amazon is such an interesting uh, version of it because it's like now they're combining, uh, Amazon Music is becoming a bigger deal. They just had an announcement today when we're recording this that uh, you're going to be able to listen, uh, whether you're an Amazon Prime customer or not, to Amazon music because they're trying to take on Spotify at the same time they're trying to take on Netflix at the same time they're trying to take on every online store dealer and you have these companies like Apple Apple's a was a hardware company came up with a software iTunes and now it's gone from that to like now we have our own TV channel and it's all everybody's adding something like I wouldn't be surprised if people that aren't involved in TV at all start trying to add like hey Chick-fil-a has a new streaming service or (laughs) I've seen uh too soon man there's some (laughs) Sorry, there's some book publishers that have made subscription services where if you sign up for this books, uh, our company subscription, then you get our books at a better deal and everybody wants you to subscribe, which subscriptions itself, we could probably do a whole episode on subscriptions, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the culture of binge watching. We live, because we live in a day and age where you have access to what you want to watch when you want to watch it, it also means that we tend to have a culture that goes, I'm going to watch every episode of this instead of what it used to be, kind of a serial where it's like you had to wait a week before the next episode came out. Now you can you can watch them all in order. Have you guys ever, I know Elizabeth, you don't binge watch because you don't have access, <laughs> but what is your, what have, what have you binge watched in your life? Is there anything that you've sat down and just done multiple episodes same time? Um, well, in college, yeah, uh, I spent a whole summer uh, binge watching Lost, a but whole it was summer. it was on VHS at the time. Oh my so, goodness! Oh wow! Wow! Yeah. 
So, so we, you were, or maybe you were, it was, binge, it you were binging been before streaming services. Yeah, we, me and my brother uh, went home for the summer and we just rented like all the seasons of Lost and watched I it. Just yeah, my, my, par- my parents made me get a yeah. job, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you binge watched, David? Yeah, certain shows. I think about uh, Stranger Things would be one more yeah. recently. Um, there was a show called The Leftovers from HBO that I watched recently. Most, I feel like most things that I watch these days, I watch them in a short amount of time yeah. yeah, and then maybe go several months without watching another show because I don't do like a lot, like multiple shows at one time. Just can't, yeah. can't keep up. I'm the same way. Elizabeth, you don't binge watch things, I'm assuming, or... Felicity, it's an oh. old show. I love Felicity. Heck Felicity yeah. is a great show. What about when, when I was in college? There's time travel at the end. Doesn't it get like real sci-fi or Wait, something? What? Yes, Felicity. Felicity, there's really? time travel. I, I promise. Really? I promise. Do you know who created it? J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams. Mystery Box. It, you, it's it's a very I small. I don't remember nugget. any there's, time travel. There is. I guarantee so, it. Speaking of anyway. the difference in culture. <laughs> When I was in college, Elizabeth, this is before any of these subscriptions, obviously, and we didn't have DVRs. You couldn't record as easily. We would gather around the TV in a dorm room and all watch Felicity together. Yeah. I can't remember. It was like every Thursday night or something. Or I we would watch it. Friends one night. It'd be like, who's who's going to watch Friends yeah. now? We'd all go watch Friends. But Felicity was our jam. Mm-hmm. I love Carrie Russell. Yep. She's Friends so is great. the worst. Just a side note. Friends is the worst. It is the worst? I hate that show. Okay. Really? Now you're going to get so many angry letters. going to throw that out there. Seinfeld, That's way better take. than Friends. Way yes. better than Friends. And I don't really love Seinfeld. Well, I don't. Okay, I'll say this. Friends is not a, a terrible show. It's just way overrated. It also normalized pornography. Well, Friends okay. did? Yes. Okay. So, that is an, speaking that of that hot takes. Aside, I'll just edit that. <laughs> It did. It is yeah. a very sexualized show. Yeah. Right? And it normalized pornography. Um, okay. If you want to know about binging, I am currently binging uh, The Office with my wife for the third time. Okay. So, so still going. It's about to go off Netflix, I think. Yeah. And so we were like, we should try and watch it one more time. I think all the time about how a generation growing up only knowing this version of television, mm-hmm. how it will yeah. change things. Uh, one, because I think there's so many shows that you can watch right now. When I was growing up, there was like a couple cartoons that all the kids, you'd talk about Transformers or Ninja Turtles. Yep. You'd talk about what was on. And now there's so many shows that I find, like when my kids are at birthday parties or hang out with their friends, they all watch something different. They're all like, oh well, I watch. You have Netflix, and are you watching this? Like, no, they don't. They don't have that kind of unifying thing that we used to have around TV. Not that you need it. TV, like Elizabeth believes, it's evil, and you should throw it out the window. But, <laughs> right. but there, uh, there's something to this this on demand culture that says you can get what you want when you want, as long as you're willing to pay. And then there are some things that um, there are some things that are really, really good, but they're only on, like if you want to watch Stranger Things, like David talked about, you have to have Netflix. Maybe you can buy the DVDs after the fact, but you have to subscribe to get it. Or right now, if you want to watch The Mandalorian, if you're a big Star Wars fan, mm-hmm. now they're trying to kind of buck the system a little bit with this new show they're doing, Disney Plus. They're going back to a model where they release one episode a week, which actually I think is kind of brilliant in a culture that has loved binge watching. They're going, now, if you want to keep this service uh, or if you want to watch what we've got, you're going to have to stick around. We're going to release it one at a time. And then the news cycle for a show is is ongoing and it comes up every week. Versus Stranger Things, when it comes out, they drop a whole season. Yeah, they talk about it for a week and then it starts to drift, and you don't talk about Stranger Things until the next season is coming out. Mm. But it's affected a lot of things around TV. 
when it comes to competing subscription services, paying for these things, watching hours of television, and maybe even justifying the fact that you've paying for this television by watching hours of it. How should a Christian think about these things, or how should we advise, advise Christians when it comes to, hey, have you thought about how much you're paying for these subscriptions, and what is that money actually going to? Have you thought about maybe what you're doing with your time when it comes to watching television? Elizabeth, it seems like maybe you've made some intentional choices around this. Is it at all related to what we're talking about right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, because I think there's nothing wrong with binge watching a TV show. I think sometimes it gets into the way of what it means for us to be in community. And so you are sitting by yourself watching endless hours of TV rather than coming around. I think to me, TV is communal. So I do it socially with other people versus being by myself in a room watching endless hours of TV. And so I think when does it get to a place when it's just unhealthy um, and is eating up time that you could be spent doing something else, having a meal with someone, being in the community. So I think there are just ways in which we are pulling back from who we're called to be as a people of God just by being in isolation and consuming massive amounts of TV when consuming massive amounts of anything is not yeah, good. That's good. I think there are some, some of the advantages I didn't mention. Uh, I grew up, I was inundated with exposure to commercials. If you're watching some of these subscription services, you're not seeing endless ads for things. And I think there's, that's an advantage. Uh, I think uh, the creative advantage that comes with uh, a show like you, we've talked about several times now, Stranger Things, where they don't have to meet a certain minute allotment per episode with space at critical times to go to commercial. They just get to go, what would make a great story? And whether it's 40 minutes in this episode or 58 minutes in the next one, you can do that in today's day and age with TV, which leads to some better creative expression. But again, a lot of those are driven by a market that want you to consume. Right. And the, deci- the decisions we have to make is, am I uh, just a consumer or am, is there something more important I should be doing with my time? Am I sharing this with my community? And is this why we're participating in this? Is this entertaining or is it escapism? Is I, am I trying to uh, numb myself to the realities of the world I live in? And speaking of quality of the films, quality of cinema, there's been uh, some recent discussion about this. We'll get to in our next section here in a second. But uh, David, I'm sure you're going to have opinions about this. But Disney Plus has released all the, the Marvel Universe you can get on your subscription. And some people... Don't really think the Marvel Universe is that great. Let's talk about it here in a second. But first, let me talk to you about LifeWay Groups. So let's stop for just a second. Let me tell you about this. Many of us talk about the question, who am I? This is a pervasive question. This is whether you're a Christian or not, you think, who am I? The answers can involve so much, our jobs, our family, our opinions, our ideas. But who you are finds its basis in who God is. Alex Kendrick and Stephen Kendrick explore this theme of identity in their new LifeWay Bible studies, Overcomer and Defined. They expand on the theme introduced in their latest film, Overcomer, and you can find out more about these resources at OvercomerLifeWay.com. That's OvercomerLifeWay.com. Well, David, like I teased, there's a certain director (laughs) who just came out recently publicly and said, hey, all these Marvel comic movies, which, by the way, are some of the highest grossing highest money movies that have been made over the last 15 years. He said, these don't even qualify as cinema. Who am I talking about? What did he say? Uh, His name is Martin Scorsese, and he's one of the great American filmmakers of our time. Never heard of him. People would argue that he has made um, some of the best movies of our generation. Listen, Goodfellas, The Departed, uh, The Last Temptation of Christ, Casino. Um, 
goodness, there's so many that I'm just drawing, starting to draw blanks. But yeah. I mean, the guy has made Iron Man. Nope, nope. No. <laughs> it's John Favreau. He's <laughs> great. If you if you were to go on IMDb and look at all the movies that he's made, I mean, it's an endless list of just great movies. Taxi Driver is another one um, that he made that you know he kind of made Robert De Niro famous. Yeah. You know, early on they were a pair that worked together a lot and have continued to do that. His latest movie is The Irishman, which has gotten a lot of good reviews as well. Um, in an interview. I don't even think the interview was about this, but someone wanted to ask his opinion, of course, took it as an opportunity to see what he thought about MCU. And he made a remark that, you know, the, the Marvel movies are not cinema, that they're, that they're movies. And he made a distinction there. And he, uh, he basically said that they're like theme, a theme park. And it was a, it was a low blow. And it also, um, caused a lot of like conversation around like, what did he actually mean? Because it was just a quick interview. And so he ended up coming back around and wrote an article in the New York times that, you know, described what he meant, you know, in more detail about why he made that critique. And I would say his ultimate argument is that he is saying the MCU has, um, caused problems for culture and for the film industry because Disney and Marvel have, basically created a monopoly um, in the movie industry that keeps filmmakers like himself and movies that he would consider to be more artistic, more uh, pure in their expression and their intention um, from getting to be made um, and getting to be seen, which is certainly true because he actually has struggled to get funding. And, you know, he ended up making this latest movie with Netflix and he's one like movie critics would say that he's one of the, best filmmakers alive, you know? Mm. And so the fact that he, you know, is struggling to get funding and you're not seeing these movies, um, maybe as, as more, as often as you would in the past, it's definitely true. And no one can dispute that fact that like Marvel is keeping these movies out. Um, the, the question is whether or not you think that's a bad thing or a good thing. Sure. Well, I have a question related to that too. Like, is it a bad thing or a good thing? Is it really on Marvel? Marvel is making movies that make money because people want to watch them and they're entertaining movies. So is it the fact that the market is driving this, that Martin Scorsese is having a harder time getting funding, even though he's a great director because the market does not want what he's created? Or is it really Disney? We need to look at Disney and Marvel and go, look what you've done. Like, is is Disney and Marvel stupefying the movie audiences across America? Are they uh, only, or are they pandering to the culture itself and saying, well, this is what culture wants. Culture doesn't want another Departed. It wants another Iron Man movie. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, in some ways you're saying that he's really arguing against uh, capitalism <laughs> and the abuse yeah. of capitalism in a quote-unquote free market or whatever. You know, like that. that's definitely like what he's getting at here. I mean, I think it's not an either-or. I definitely think that Marvel has an opportunity owning the market the way they do to to stop, to slow down. Like they have so much money <laughs> and they can make that money in other ways if they really cared about the movie industry. So there's an aspect of greed that definitely plays into this. But at the same time, they are making the movies that people want. Right. And, um, you know, that's always like an argument of like what's downstream and upstream, you know, in terms of how we should think about these things. But um yeah, I don't know that how much of the blame actually goes to Marvel and Disney, but it, it is, I think it's unfortunate 
if a, if a filmmaker like Martin Scorsese is having issues because right. ultimately what he is saying is that um, these movies, he would admit that they're well done. That's not what he's trying to say is like, hey, these aren't excellent. They have good acting. Right. They, you know, they have good stories. But he's saying there's a humanity in them. There's a... Um, there's something that's just not as pure about a filmmaker like him who is making a movie out of artistic expression. These movies are being made to sell a product. And yep. mm-hmm. I just think that that's true. <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, I've talked to, I have some friends who work at movie theaters and they've said when a Marvel movie comes out, life is good. Like they're selling candy, they're selling popcorn, they're selling tickets. And when a Martin Scorsese movie comes out for a weekend, it's great. You know, some people are going to go see it, but there's not like, it's a market driven, like, like many of the other things we talk about, it's driven by what consumers want and the money is going to flow there. Not only that, but it's driven by, and, uh, we now live in a global film economy and you know this, David, like when you release a movie, it is going to get released in China and it's getting, which is a huge movie market and it's getting mm-hmm. released in Europe. And so if you have a movie that's easy to understand in other cultures, because what it is, is a good guy fighting a bad guy with a moral dilemma, that's going to play well across multiple markets in a way that half the movie's money is coming from China versus a Martin Scorsese movie. If a studio is going to pour money into that, it's not doing as well in foreign markets because it's harder to grasp exactly what is happening in that. One I think we can all agree that they're super entertaining movies and I love theme parks. So yeah, again, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be a critique as much yeah. as it's a, I, I think it will be interesting to see. I mean, obviously the biggest money makers and players, uh, is still like getting your, your film in the movie theaters. I mean, that's where you're going to make the most money. But I think going back to streaming, I think we will continue to see a shift of more and more of that market going towards streaming and so there is there's the advantage of hey Scorsese could do a, a film with Netflix and still get his film out there and it doesn't have to necessarily play in theaters, but then there's also it was the last Oscars where there was a bunch of um, controversy over uh, Netflix not being able to be nominated right. for a Best Picture because it didn't play in a theater and and so there's that where it's like it's just it's weird but I think you will start to see a shift of more and more of those uh, good films coming out on streaming services, you know, so. Right. And for a, in, like a Netflix, it's in their best interest to have exclusive content, right? right? So if they can make something good that you can only watch on Netflix, that's what they want. Right. And at the same time, the prominence that comes from winning an award is really, really important to a movie studio as well. Netflix, uh, you know, and all these streaming services, they have different, re- different uh, amounts of input for directors. Uh, Disney has a theme that they are trying to, there's a certain level uh, quality they're trying to hit, but also a certain story they're trying to tell. And Netflix is a little bit more free with that. They don't have as much of that. But I think Martin Scorsese's point that we can take and, and at least uh, communicate now to Christians is, are are we looking at this as artful expression or are we looking at this as like enjoyable time kill? And Martin Scorsese is saying like, this is an artful expression. Let's not lose it. Let's not let it die because we're paying to see a different version of it. Almost like if you took any art, like if you took painting right now, painting is not a super popular, you don't have like super famous popular outside of Banksy. I can't think of anybody right now. Like people are aware when something new comes out from this artist. But what if there were a, a million Banksy's ruining Banksy's chance to really do something profound, mm-hmm. he might be willing to stand up and say, hey, you're, you're losing what's what the meaning is behind this because you're just looking at 
amazing graffiti. No, there's a purpose to his art. He's trying to accomplish something. And Martin is just trying to speak up, I think, not only for himself, but for the little guy, for the Martin Scorsese we haven't heard of yet, who won't be able to get a film made because it's not going to be about a giant robot fighting a giant monster or a bad guy fighting a good guy. Or girl. <clears throat> just... Or a what? You, or a girl. Thank or a girl. You. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I will say too, just, you know, real briefly, I, I the where I do disagree with Scorsese is that I think he's, the, there's sometimes a fine line between that art and entertainment discussion. And I think he wants to too easily separate those things when there are a lot of movies that probably find themselves more in the middle. But, you know, his, you know, a Steven Spielberg movie would be a great example yeah. of something that finds itself more in the middle. But like, you know, when you compare his movies to MCU, then I definitely see the distinction that he's making. And again, I don't think people need to be offended by that or think that like he hates MCU or that they can't like that. I think he's he's just getting at the very thing that you just said, and that's what's most important. But doesn't it sounds like the argument to me between the classical musician and the popular musician? The classical musician is like, look at the complicated art that I'm putting out. It's an orchestra. Look at how many pieces there are to it and the beautiful artistry to it. And then this other guy writes this rap song that uh, it took him 10 minutes of him recording and then a producer <laughs> made the rest of it and it's making millions of dollars. And it's like, well, yeah, because people want to hear that. Yeah. And it's not that people don't appreciate classical music. It is a smaller percentage maybe of our culture, but it's he's not uh, the the popular artist is not trying to insult classical music by making a song that they enjoy. So it, while it is an industry and they're trying to sell things, I don't think Disney is just going, let's ruin cinema. And I don't think it's malicious, mm. but I do see his point. Can I, I say it. one more thing? I know we're yeah. over time. It's really interesting to me. Have you seen all of the the Marvel filmmakers come out and be defensive about this? So like the the Russo brothers, some of the directors, the actors, that's Favreau. what's yeah, that's what's fascinating about it is that like they literally have the market, they have all the money, they have all the fame, but like it still bugs them that Martin Scorsese doesn't like, you know, isn't happy with their movies. It's and that to me is just a whole other discussion of what that communicates. Yeah. Well, like I think can, they have the argument of like, well, why aren't we 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 could win awards. We don't ever get nominated for awards, but a Martin Scorsese is going to get an Oscar for this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And outside of maybe Black Panther, they're going, well, we're making the movies that everybody wants to see, and yet the Academy ignores us. Mm-hmm. Which everybody can make that argument of, what about me? We can all complain about something, right? Yes. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters today. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett, produced by David Rourke. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. And also follow us on Instagram 